Welcome back everyone to Four Eyes, the podcast series that gives you a clear view into the optometry world across Canada and the US. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. I'm Dr. Deepon Carr. Hi, I'm Dr. Ravinder Rindava. And I'm Dr. Alex Kuhn. So welcome back, everyone. We are back from our short hiatus. Uh, We were taking a break after our season two episodes. And now we are back with season three. And we have a lot of new episodes, new interviews um, that we want to share with you guys. And we are really excited to start Season three with an episode where we interview Dr. Danielle Gordon. She is an optometrist who recently opened up her own practice in Calgary, Alberta. Her practice is named Sphere Optometry. The aesthetics, the vibe, the values of her clinic are so unique. So her clinic definitely stood out to us. And so we reached out to Dr. Gordon and wanted to get to know more about her personal experience opening up the practice. And also we wanted her to share some insight for us new grads or maybe even some seasoned optometrists who are thinking about opening up their own practice in the near future. So we really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, it was recorded over Zoom, so apologies in advance for any audio lags or sound distortions. And we hope you guys enjoy. Just for our listeners too, Dr. Gordon, can you uh, give a brief introduction into who you are and what you're all about? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Danielle. Please call me Danielle. (laughs) Um, And uh, I just opened up uh, Sphere Optometry just a little over a year ago. So I've been practicing in Alberta now for probably about, oh, 12, no, oh my goodness, 14 years. I feel like a dinosaur. Um, and uh, Sphere has been sort of a dream of, of mine for a long time. Uh, essentially, we're a purpose-driven optometry practice. Uh, as we mentioned before, we're in the deep southeast of Calgary. And, you know, we've got a few main principles that we really kind of keep close to our hearts. We're all about kindness and connection, um, certainly ocular and, and whole body holistic wellness and giving back globally and on a local level. So that's just sort of been where our foundation is. And, and we've been certainly had a very interesting first year of business. So just like you've had an interesting first year of work, we've had a very uh, up and down first year of business in terms of unusual things happening, but yeah. we're having a ton of fun. Um, we're in a great little location and uh, we're excited to see where things go from here. Yeah. I can't even imagine what craziness your office is going through <laughs> when you weren't expect you weren't expecting to open up during covid so um so you know owning an optometry practice is not for the faint of heart and so in your opinion what character traits and amount of dedication is needed to own a successful and profitable practice and is there ever a right time to start i think it's a really good question so to answer the first part in my opinion anyways i think to get any business off the ground, you kind of have to have a really strong vision. I think that's sort of where, and again, I'm, I'm new in business, but I think whenever I listen to people who've been successful in business and owned businesses or been entrepreneurs, they've had a really strong vision that they just couldn't shake. You know, things would happen that challenges would arise. Um, you know, there's always those ups and downs in anyone's 
entrepreneurial journey, but their vision was so strong, it was always worth pursuing. And I think that's probably the key. Maybe that can be lumped under the quality of tenacity, perhaps. Um, certainly a healthy dose of courage because it is a risk. You've got some skin in the game for sure. Uh, and I think, you know, ambition, vision, all of those things kind of come together as, as skills. I think there's also an uh, interesting conversation to be had around what this sort of perceived ideal stereotype of a business owner is. I think a lot of people think it has to be somebody who's super bold or super brash or uber confident. And if that's the case, then I'm definitely playing against type. You know, I've always been uh, an introvert. I'm typically a quiet person. Um, certainly my husband would describe me as pretty tenacious, but I'm sort of a quiet doer. And, you know, so I've always had to sort of um, explore myself, you know, or, or at least uh, challenge myself in saying there is no one ideal personality type. Like it can be me. It can be someone like you. It can be someone who's quiet or someone who's you know, very aware of their strengths and weaknesses. So um, in that sense, I think it can really be open to anybody. Uh, the second part of your question was about a right time. I think that's a challenging question too, because for me, I have, you know, it's, I'm probably at a, a phase in my life where it's a bit more unusual to start a business. I've been practicing for a while. Um, I have two little kids at home. So I, I definitely wear a lot of hats in terms of what I do with them. You know, I've got a husband at home. He's also an optometrist too. So we have that kind of shop top we can do at home, but also, you know, that's another hat that I wear. And so it's a common maybe thought that maybe it would have been better to start a practice prior to having kids. Um, for me though, I think it would have looked a lot different had I done it back when I was younger. So I don't really have any regrets about starting now, but there are those considerations to make in terms of what does free time look like? How much free time do you have? And if you're looking to maximize that, probably younger is better. But, you know, with time comes life perspective. So can't yes. really beat that. And also with time comes more of a mature design style too. Like in your clinic, it's definitely something that is modern, but a little bit more homey. And I actually love that about your clinic. So yeah, who knows what it would have looked like, you know, 10 years earlier, it would have looked completely different than your vision now. Yeah, I think for me, a lot of building sphere, and thank you for your compliments about our space. Um, I, I think my thoughts on delivery of care would have been different, perhaps, when I was younger. I think um, what I really wanted with sphere was to have a place that felt welcoming, that did indeed yeah. feel like home. Um, I love, you know, Scandinavian design. I love just sort of minimal colors, just sort of a monochromatic feel, something yeah. that felt very peaceful coming in. And I don't know if I would have put that much importance on that part of the practice when I first graduated. I think my mind was somewhere else a little bit in terms of what mm. my ideal practice looked like. I um, mean, it's not to say that younger optometrists don't have amazing ideas and a lot of gumption. What I'm seeing mm -hmm. from your generation is so exciting. And I just love the kind of ambition and the, the particular flavor of ambition that the next generation has. And I think it's world changing. Um, but on my end, I think, you know, with time has come, uh, some different thoughts on how I wanted things to look and feel. And, and so hence sphere looks the way it does. Oh yeah. Um, I'm also glad that you talked about being an introvert because I feel like there's a lot of us, I'm an introvert as well. And there's a lot of us. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. You have lies. To Deep on is the no, one that does I'm, this the I'm most. An, I'm an introvert extrovert, but mostly an introvert. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think a lot of people who are like that, they think you have to be this bold, talkative person that can't be shy ever to kind of express your thoughts and what you want. And 
that's a really good uh, point that yeah. you brought up. But um, just to get into the nitty gritty of how you opened up your independent opto um, optometry practice. So when deciding to open your own practice, one of the most important questions is where? So how do you keep up to date about new developments with new strip centers or current spaces that are vacant that can be potential areas for a practice? You know, I think this is sort of where I think you'll find when you ask me these questions, a lot of my journey has just sort of been a bit um, not overtly strategic. Yeah. Uh, so the way I came about my particular location, so I have lived in Calgary now for about 12 years and I love this city. I love exploring it. You know, I love looking at, you know, real estate magazines and seeing what neighborhoods are up and coming and which ones are turning over and what's happening. And, you know, that's just a fun thing that my husband, and my family and I like to do. So the way we came across uh, our particular area was we used to live on the end of the city. And my family, we love to go show homing, as we call it. There's always a new show home up or the lottery home is, is out. And so it's always fun to go and see what, um, what fancy home and finishes they have going on in those multi-million dollar homes. So we ended up going to this particular community and viewing one. And on our way back, we always like to, especially the kids that are napping in the car, we like to sort of take a little drive and see just what's going on, what's happening in the neighborhood. And we came across this complex and there's a few businesses in there already that really caught our attention. They were locally owned. So typically just to back up a little bit in the suburbs of Calgary, oftentimes you'll find kind of the same sort of offering. You know, if you want a more unique dining experience or social experience, you have to go downtown. And then when you end up in the suburbs, you get a lot of the same. But this was different. You know, they had a few locally owned and operated companies that I was familiar with from before. And I remember we stopped the car and said, if there's anywhere that I could open up a practice like what I kind of had in my mind, and I just sort of written out this hypothetical practice and a business plan with no plans of putting it anywhere. It was more to put the idea to bed. Um, but instead we passed by this complex and we thought, what the heck, let's just go for it. Let's see if they're wanting optometrists. So we ended up pitching the concept to uh, the landlords and had to work pretty hard at it. They weren't wanting another medical retailer. And uh, we ended up getting the space. Yeah. But I think what it gave me, um, I don't wanna say confidence, but I, the, the thought that the opportunity would be there um, is that I had lived on this end of the town uh, of the city before. I knew that the communities around here were young and vibrant. I knew the kind of person who was here in fleshing out uh, my business plan, I really spent a lot of time thinking about my ideal uh, patient avatar. You know, what would this person be like? How old would they be? What would they be interested in? Where do they spend their time? Um, what are they following on social media? And so when I thought about all of those things and looked at the offering that was gonna be at this complex, it really seemed to align really well with what I was hoping to run. I think there's probably um, resources like real estate agents or magazines or online resources that are helpful to know where new strip complexes or, or medical facilities are coming up. But I don't know if anything really beats pounding the pavement and seeing what the community is like itself. I mean, yeah. even in the phase when our space was being built out, I would do a lot of my work from the coffee shop down the street because they were open up. They opened up a little bit earlier than we did. I just wanted to see who's coming by, like who's walking on the boulevard you know, what conversations are they having in the coffee shop? I'll kind of eavesdrop a little bit and see what they're talking about. Are they from the community? And so I think if you have an ideal location in mind or there's a community or an area or a situation where you think you could really run what's sort of been in your dreams for a long time, that's the best way to kind of go about it. 
Further that then, there's a lot of census data too that I find really helpful. You know, once you sort of honed in on our location, you can easily research online um, census information about average age, average household income, um, that kind of idea. And that's also really helpful. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, for us here at Sphere, we do have a particularly unique offering uh, with our eyewear. So we house only independent small batch handcrafted eyewear. So even though um, a significant part of our patient base comes from the community around us, we have found that through engaging on social media, we've had a lot of patients um, and I guess clients come from all over the city because they've been interested in our sort of retail offering and the way we've sort of communicated on social. So that's been a really interesting trend to watch. I'm, I'm very excited to flesh out those analytics coming up in the next month or two. Yeah. I love the fact that you incorporate local brands into your clinic because like you said, the rest of the area of that retail space those are all local brands. So you're not like a sore thumb sticking out. You're really integrating your clinic into the rest of the community and um, kind of joining in on that sense of supporting local brands. So that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. It's been a lot of fun, actually. You know, I think for a lot of the retailers in our particular area, we're super supportive of each other. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of cross referrals that happen too. We have a compounding pharmacy across the street, um, a dentist across oh, the nice. little promenade uh, family yeah. doctors right next to her. she's awesome we get along really well um, and so I just really see a future of a lot of collaboration uh, but what I think is really interesting about Calgary is it's such a big city it's bigger than where I grew up and you know I find that Calgarians by and large are quite locally supportive or at least yeah. certainly there's a pocket of Calgarians that really Definitely. do support local and are all sort of interconnected by six degrees of separation so that's been kind of a, a great um I guess, resource for us. A lot of those people have been very supportive of, of me and our business. Um, and, and so it's those people who really kind of keep it going, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely right. Calgary is a big city, but it does have that small town feel where everyone is all about supporting local. And like, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, let me support you any way I can. I'm totally down for that. But yeah, totally true. Deepon is actually always supporting local craft beers too. Every time, <laughs> always drinking something hand hand poured from Alberta. Just those lake that lake water beer. <laughs> also, also supporting local. <laughs> it's those backstories that make it so interesting. And I think, yeah, for me, my eyes are really open to that. A girlfriend of mine runs a local market, and uh, when I used to work in a different location, we ended up having a booth there. And it was so fascinating for me to see just who is frequenting this market and just really pay attention. There are people who will go out of their way. They'll drive out of their way. They'll spend all their money to support someone who they know. And I'm, I'll be really fascinated to see how this trend does or doesn't continue post COVID because really in our community, uh, I mean, everybody's affected, but the small business community stands a chance to hopefully make it through or potentially be decimated. A lot of our favorite businesses have had to close down. So I hope to see Calgarians continuing to rise up and support their local um, retailers and local small businesses. And I, I, I see that happening. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens over the years ahead as we kind of navigate our way through this. Um, so Danielle, you kind of talked about this before, but when you want to open your first practice, who specifically do you feel like you need on your team to help with the process? 
So I'm talking about like what type of lawyers, um, accountants, real estate agents or brokers, like do you even need a practice management consultant? And how do you exactly find these people? Yeah, so we ended up, uh, so just to back up a little bit, my husband's also an optometrist. So way back when we first started practicing, we incorporated because at one point we'd um, gotten pretty close to starting our own cold start um, fresh out of school. And so we ended up incorporating with a small business lawyer here in Calgary. And he's just always been our guy. So he was who I went to, was our point person legally uh, when we we're doing this um, particular deal. We also at that time had enlisted a real estate agent to help us um, negotiate our, our contract and our rent rates and everything else and the, um, the points in our contract. And so, you know, fast forward 10 years later, we called him up again because he had done some great work for us. And I think on that note, you really do want to find an agent who'll go to bat for you. They'll know the ins and outs of typical uh, retail contracts and everyone's kind of looking out for themselves and landlords need to protect themselves, but you as a tenant really need to make sure you advocate for yourself and find ways to, um, make opening a little bit easier. So for example, if you can't get the rental rates down below a certain dollar per square foot, well, maybe they'll be willing to give you a bit more in terms of tenant improvements, or maybe they can lengthen the time before your rental rates go up. And your real estate agent might have a feel or a track record with a particular landlord. They have a lot of insight. So it's really worthwhile finding someone that really, that you really jive with, not just someone who wants to get the deal done. Um, we had an accountant that we'd worked with before for our, our corporate accounting since we were incorporated. So because we trusted him for so long, we used him. But I would say accountant, lawyer, real estate agent for sure. Um, and then if you're doing um, a build out, having a contractor who you really trust too is helpful. You want someone who keeps their eye on your budget. Um, ours was awesome. He was a total bulldog. So sometimes I know some people who work with him are like, he's a little bit gruff, but you know, he was always on our side. He yeah. was always making sure that I knew, okay, Danielle, this is above your budget for this. Are you okay with it? Or can we take from somewhere else? And so consequently we ended up being pretty on pace for the bill was helpful. And he was also really fast. Um, he was young and he was hungry and really wanting to work hard. And he finished um, maybe about a week over which was not bad in the grand scheme of things. So having those people sort of on your team watching out for you is really helpful. We're going to switch gears a little bit. So, um, you know, I did already mention the design of your clinic. So how did you come up with the design and architecture of Sphere Optometry? And, you know, it's very easy to, like you said, overspend in this area when you're building your practice. So what are your tips on trying to avoid going over budget? Yeah, I, mean, I think you sort of have to decide on, on your comfort level. Um, I think for, for me going into um, the, the particular design aesthetic, I certainly knew what I wanted it to look like. Floor plan wise, we did uh, work with uh, a group out of the US and we also looked a lot online at different plans, just Googled a bunch and just tried to see what people are doing with small spaces. Sphere is not that big. It's only 1,262 square feet. So I had to sort of figure out um, how to manage the space and, and the lack thereof and try to make the most of it. And this is where having people on your team who have skills that you don't have is super helpful. So um, my husband, Ryan, has a good mind for spatial awareness. This is not my strong suit whatsoever. So for me, if someone said, imagine what this plan looks like in space, it's not happening with my brain. Yeah. 
So for him, he was really good about, and he loves to think about patient flow and where bottlenecks can happen. So we would bounce ideas off each other there, but that's definitely his strong suit. For me, a lot of where my mind went, and I would lose time thinking about this, is just what is the aesthetic like? What colors are in the space? What makes people feel the way they want them to feel when they're here? Mm -hmm. And so communicating that to our designers was super helpful. Now, that being said, did this all go smoothly? Um, no, <laughs> not so much. So uh, and, and I think sometimes in your journey, no matter what part of life, you know, your family life or your work life, sometimes little happy accidents happen. So, and so the very first day we went into the space, when it was finally available for us to take a look at, what I realized was where they put the front door was about a meter to the right of where it should have been. And that sounds like a really small thing, but it threw off everything. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I couldn't figure out where to move the patient kind of family room waiting area. I couldn't yeah. figure out how that would change where the front desk went. And I called up one of my girlfriends as an interior designer. She does more house design. And I phoned her up and I said, Janelle, you need to help me yesterday. I have yeah. this <laughs> big problem. And, and luckily, mercifully, she helped us. And so we ended up being this unfortunate position of having to design at the same time we were building out. That's not ideal. But it ended up working out really well. And again, having people who are going to bat for you is super helpful. Our designers worked really well with our contractor. Both of them helped present me with options, some of which were over budget, some of which were under budget, but we were able to really coordinate to make it work. Mm -hmm. um, the other factors to think about what equipment you want. And um, that's also a difficult, a difficult thing to go through in some ways because you are aware that you're starting out with a fairly sizable loan in all likelihood. And you have to be smart about what you spend your money on, but at the same time, you also wanna deliver a certain kind of experience right out of the gates. And if you want to differentiate yourself, sometimes you maybe have to invest in something that's a little bit newer um, or, or more advanced just to make sure you can provide the level of care that you really want. So um, that was a, a big part of the decision-making process in those early days too. Mm -hmm. What was one piece of equipment that you felt like you were going to splurge on because you wanted your patients to have that somewhat higher level of experience? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, I worked with a really great group, um, by and large, I worked with some of the folks from Top Gun and a really great group from Insight Medical. And what I really wanted, especially in a new practice in a newer area with a really young sort of surrounding population, and I knew that our target demographic would be 20s to 40s and some in their 50s as well would be kind of the bulk of who would probably be attracted to our space. But I really wanted the connectivity to be there. I'm not a technical person, but I love the idea of information easily shooting to where I want it to go. So um, we did end up um, investing in an automated lensometer, which I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're adding up your little price tags, when you're first opening, everything just yeah. feels a little painful. Um, <laughs> had a, a good autorefractor, great auto lensometer that syncs with our um, automated foropter, I'm sorry, on our exam lane. And all that information then can shoot subsequently to my medical record system. So what's really nice about it is it just sort of looks a bit slicker. You know, everything just mm -hmm. kind of transfers from one place to another really easily. And I think, you know, investing in a good EMR was also really helpful for me. It was one that I was familiar with, but it also connects really well to other software that we wanted to implement later. Um, another uh, thing that I was pretty open to splurging on a little bit was our online booking system. And I'm kind of working on that right now, kind of upgrading that. So I just really want the experience at Sphere to be 
seamless. You know, how yeah. easy can we make it for the people working there? It's not clunky or inefficient. I just really want those things to feel really smooth so that we can focus on making more connections with people and having yeah. and augment the other parts of their time with us. Yeah. I think definitely having a lensometer and NCT and auto refractor that just kind of connects onto your um, EHR system is definitely also just a time saver. So Mm -hmm. then you have just extra time to talk to your patients and take that case history because you're not frantically trying to find your pretester and trying to grab the little piece of paper that they wrote everything on (laughs) that they threw out in the trash because they thought you already had it. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. It has been really helpful and you're so right. Like I think unfortunately for whatever reason i don't know if patients are really accustomed to being listened to and so something really Mm -hmm. important for me was to have that time to really sit down and just easily connect with them i don't want them to feel frazzled or like they're a guinea pig before they come in to see me um and so a lot of the thought went into how can i make that happen there's still improvements i really want to make but it was a good start you know i can't invest in everything all at once but a few of those pieces um were really important to sort of make that experience Mm -hmm. um smooth off the bat. Speaking of the people who do work at Sphere Optometry, how did you, um, how did you decide on how many staff to initially hire? Or do you think it's better to kind of start by yourself by basically doing everything like managing the front office, pre-testing, doing the exam, or hiring maybe one or two people to start off with? Yeah, it's a great question because I think, you know, an ideal situation involves a certain number of team members, but when you're beginning, especially when you're a cold start and you don't have that initial patient flow, you don't want a lot of your revenues to go right to salary costs if you don't have people who are actually busy. So I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm fine doing my own pretest for a while. Um, I'm familiar with the medical record system, so I can do bookings. I can do certain front desk administrative things fairly easily. So I thought, well, maybe if I could just find an ideal optician who could work with me, that would sort of be a great start. We can tag team in the beginning and just really sort of form a strong bond and launch this thing. So, and then I opted to write the post just a little bit differently um, in terms of what qualities I was looking for. And I wrote it in sort of a whimsical fashion thinking if someone likes this, they're going to be my person. And if they think it's ridiculous, um, they're not for me. <laughs> and so it's really funny because I interviewed a lot of maybe about two or three lovely opticians before finding Bethany, who's one that we work with right now. And it, but no, Bethany um, ended up answering that, that ad. And it's funny because when I asked her about it, what she thought about it after I hired her, she said, oh, I, I came across it on one of my platforms. I just kept rereading it and thought, I just have to apply. I have to see who this person is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I basically hired her on a Friday and we started working together on a Monday and we didn't have a space to work out of. So we worked out of the coffee shop down the street and again, watching who our community was, yeah. but also meeting with frame reps in the coffee shop to pick up frames. It was really highly unusual, unorthodox, <laughs> but it was a great way for us to, to create a really fast bond and, yeah. um, I have no regrets about kind of putting out a little bit of a, of a quirky ad and, and I sort of found an ideal person to work with. I think it's really important, like the ads you were saying, the quirky ads are great because I feel like even other practices that are looking for optometrists or looking for staff or whatever, it's the same like generic ad or whatever. It's the same kind of saying like, oh, looking for this type of person. You know, having that kind of unique touch 
to an mm -hmm. ad can really, really attract the right people and maybe a couple wrong people, but you know, you can, like, <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that I did as part of the interview process that for me was more a matter of curiosity and just learning about who I was hiring. But once I kind of narrowed it down to a couple of people, more so for the, the admin position, I think with Bethany, I did this with her after I hired her is we ended up going through a personality test together. Um, more so we could know each other. I think yeah. it's an incredibly unique position when you meet someone on a Friday and then all of a sudden you're working side by side with them eight hours a day, just the two of you on a Monday, you really want to develop a bond really quickly. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that we knew we had each other's backs. We're going to be going through a lot of emotions together and opening up a practice. We're both doing something new we've never done before. Yeah. How can we support each other? How do you like to work? What's important to you? What kind of person are you? So going through, um, a personality test was really insightful for both of us. We um, also had a lot of fun doing a visioning exercise. So we sat down, I kind of said, Bethany, you know, because there's the two of us at the time, let's write down a document on what is our ultimate vision for this space. Where do you see it kind of ultimately if, if all your dreams could come true? And we both sat down and wrote it privately. And we came back together with so many of the same words, so many of the same sentiments. And so we ended up um, working with a friend of mine who's a fantastic uh, hand lettering artist and she did a beautiful word map for us kind of encapsulating all of those values. So we look at that every day. Nice. Um, and then to kick off a lot of our staff meetings now, we do uh, these conversation cards from a local shop. And so it helps us to really just get to know each other as a team and know how each other ticks. Because I think when times get stressful, the office gets busy to know what someone's going through just by looking at their face or when they need yeah. support or how we can help each other helps us to be a really strong team. So that's sort of what we're really working uh, towards here from a team perspective. Yeah. You did mention earlier that, you know, before the clinic opened up, you and Bethany were already meeting frame suppliers and uh, trading goods in the coffee shops. So that kind of leads into our next question because, you know, when do you think would be the most proper time to start meeting with company suppliers um, and contact lens and frame companies? Um, is it, you know, a couple of weeks before you open, maybe even after you open, what's the best situation? Yeah, that was really tricky. So in our case, I would say earlier because mm -hmm in what I didn't realize. So I'd gone through sort of a, a timeline and in talking to some of my colleagues and looking at some outlines that I found online from other journals, like review of optometric business is a good one or optometric management, I think is another one that I was looking at said, maybe start to meet with your frame reps about a month out. So according to those timelines, we're right on time. However, though, when you're working with independent eyewear, they have fewer reps, um, everything's handcrafted, so it takes longer to kind of get to you. And so we did open up our shop with not a full, I should say not a full set of lines, but everything we ordered hadn't come in yet. So there was that. But then again, you're opening up cold, so it's not like your traffic flow is going to be crazy. So we did, were able to populate our shelves gradually, and that was fine. Um, I think that was the other tricky thing to budget was how much to spend on inventory, because you don't want to have it sitting there for a long time. You don't want to overinvest in a line. You have to really watch their terms to make sure they're not going to be difficult for you to manage as a new business. So that was a, a tricky consideration. I might say in the beginning, I ended up being a bit more conservative than I could have been. I could have probably maybe spent a bit more there in the beginning, but I'm, I'm a fiscally conservative kind of person. You know, again, talking about the entrepreneurial type, I'm not a major risk taker despite mm -hmm. my actions. In my heart, I don't feel like a risk taker. So I didn't really want to 
feel that discomfort of overspending on something mm. um, at that point. Now a year in, when you kind of watch what moves and what doesn't, and we've had a lot of fun playing with different lines, that's a little bit different now. We have a bit more comfort in trying new things and seeing because we have more familiarity with our patient base and maybe what they're looking for. But in the beginning, we kept it a little bit more slim and then built from there. But it did take us a little bit longer than we thought. How early would you also start to market the practice before it opens to get your patients in and booked before the first day that it opens? Yeah, again, uh, that was challenging because as you get close to the end of your bill, the timelines are a little fuzzy in terms mm -hmm. of when it's spick and span and ready to go. Um, the other challenge too is just making sure every bit of your equipment connects well because you don't want to open and not be able to have everything work where you want it to. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the way we marketed, I didn't do a ton actively prior. I was active on social, so I was kind of uh, posting about the build, what was going on, you know, once a cat was out of the bag, I'd post pictures of our plans or post pictures of the build, post pictures of our space, kind of in the demise uh, phase of, of the build, just to try to get a little bit of interest. Um, and also post a lot about our designers and the work they were doing. But I think in terms of when it actively started, probably about two months, two, three months out from when we opened. Yeah. And then certainly more actively when we're ready to book. Yeah. Um, we had yeah. a bit more fun then. You do make a really good point that I never thought about. You have to make sure everything works on that day <laughs> or else it's going to be a total disaster. It, it can be. And, you know, we did have some connectivity issues with a couple of little things. Um, oh, I guess you got asked about a splurge. One thing that I was super glad that I splurged on, it took a while to get it connected um, exactly the way I wanted it to be, maybe just a couple more weeks out than, than when we started. But I invested in a slit lamp with an interior segment camera and my Vography mm. capabilities. Nice. And I love it. I'm so happy with it. I use it on almost every single patient. So that was an investment that, you know, one might say might be a bit frivolous, but it is one that I use all the time with our, the dry eye care and what I want to do um, from that perspective, I couldn't do it as well as I do without it. So um, that was a great one to invest in. You did mention that you, in the beginning of your first year when you opened, you basically did your own digital marketing on your social media. Um, are you still doing your own digital marketing or have you hired um, some sort of team or digital marketing company that helps um, get the Sphere brand out there? Yeah, so I think, um, so when I kind of say there's a couple of hiccups, um, we did end up sort of aligning with a couple of different companies and it wasn't a, a bad situation. It just didn't quite work out or jive. Um, and I also want to be really careful about my marketing spend because mm -hmm. when you're kind of new, you don't want to blow your budget. There's so many things you can do. You have to be really streamlined and social is ultimately somewhat free. So that was sort of my price tag. So I wanted to make sure I was active on, on Instagram as tends to be where I, I try to outreach the most um, just because it's so visual and I'm still managing that by and large by myself. We, uh, a friend of mine uh, runs her own sort of um, branding and marketing company and uh, I ended up aligning with her group maybe a few months ago. And so she is so well aligned with me mentally. She works with her sister. Uh, they're awesome. And so what I found they really helped me to do is not so much say, you know, these ideas are not kosher or it's a little bit more out of the box. I don't know if it's a great way to go for you. A lot of 
a couple of the companies we kind of aligned with before maybe were a bit more conventional, which is not a bad thing. They're very successful. Um, but what I love about this particular person I'm working with is she kind of validates my ideas and then augments them as well. So we've put, and she loves to flesh things out on a very long timeline in terms of a campaign. So that I found super helpful. We're coming up to the end of our first sort of cycle together. So we'll have a chance to look at some analytics and, and get into the numbers of it. But I think what I'm really excited about with her, she likes to think differently. She loves to think out of the box. And um, I think what I found helpful, for whatever reason, even though I said before, I'm not a major risk taker, I really enjoy following brands and companies that just do things differently. I find them really mm -hmm. exciting. You know, whether it's a podcast I'm listening to or looking at local businesses that I love, it's usually someone in a conventional industry who's doing something really different out of the box. There is, for example, um, when I first moved to Calgary, I was super intrigued by this pharmacy that's in our, in our city called Luke's Pharmacy. And in an era where not very many pharmacies are independent, this person has been able to carry on his family's pharmacy into this new landscape. And everybody loves it. He carries vinyl, he carries local goods, you know, he carries sort of soft serve ice cream. Like everybody loves to go to this place. And I thought, well, what a fascinating business because they're in yeah. such a conventional, what some people would say is a whole hum industry, but doing things so differently. And I find that Calgary is a great breeding ground for these ideas. And so when it came to Sphere, I was really excited to try new things. So for whatever reason, um, doing certain things conventionally doesn't hold as much appeal to me, especially when it comes from a marketing perspective. I think some things that are tried and true you need to kind of do. Um, but when it comes to outreach, um, I've had so much fun connecting with our community in a really genuine way. And, um, and, and I think when you've thought so much about how you want to communicate with your community, who better to be the voice of your brand than the person who's the most emotionally invested in some ways. So yeah. that's sort of why I kind of have hung on to just sort of doing the social myself. I'm not um, an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I'm still very fly by the seat of my pants in terms of um, what I post. I kind of do it spur of yeah. the moment, but it's me and I feel like it communicates how um, I feel and how our team feels. So yeah. it helps people to feel like they're actually really communicating with us personally in a more personal level. Yeah. And we can tell that when we look at your social media, definitely, definitely. You definitely are successful at doing that. Like just looking at your um, Instagram account, even your website, there's just this instant like draw where I'm like, oh, this is different than mm -hmm. every other practice website I've been to. Like it's just an instant like, who is this and who's this owner? And you're just clicking all those tabs and you're like, oh, this is getting more interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> we did it. And it's, it is very different from, I think a lot of what we're used to seeing. And I think, you know, digital market marketing, everyone says like, Oh, you should have a website. You should have an Instagram account, but it's just not about just having that account. It's like, what are you kind of offering to people yeah. that different? And I don't know. I think me and Amrit think that you're doing that quite successfully. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, sometimes when you put things out into, into the internet, you don't really know what people are thinking about it. So it's good to hear that, you know, what we're hopefully trying to communicate is actually resonating with people. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'm really excited to hear that. Thank you. We don't know what people are thinking about us every time they listen to our <laughs> podcast. We just put it out and we just kind of cover our ears like mm, maybe people will listen. <laughs> No, it's great. 
mean, this is sort of what I mean by what I'm really excited about with with your generation is you're coming up with different ways of communicating with um, with your own community. I mean, with the mm-hmm. optometric community, having a podcast like this is such a cool idea. I mean, how wonderful, you know? Yeah. So I say go for it. I'm, I'm super stoked that you guys are doing this. So Danielle, we're going to change gears one more time. Um, so we're going to kind of stop talking about the optometry side of things, but uh, can you tell us more about the Fit to Read project, why you created this project, and how others can become involved to support it? Definitely. So the Fit to Read project I actually um, created and launched prior to opening Sphere, actually, probably about maybe 2016 about or 17, a few years ago. And, and what it originally was was kind of more of a workplace challenge. I thought, wouldn't it be great if we all had a fitness challenge? Um, the Scotiabank Calgary Marathon was coming up. What if we all joined forces as a company and, you know, ran a 5K, anywhere from a 5K to a half marathon, whatever you want to do, and raise money for Calgary Reads? What I sort of underestimated was not everybody loves to run as much as I do. So it was basically my husband and me <laughs> raising money and running. Um, and we had a great time. I raised a lot of money, I think maybe $1,200 for Calgary Reads that year. And I had called it the Fit to Read project at the time. Um, going forward, then I thought, well, if it's not a workplace challenge, what could it be? Like, how could we best serve this uh, community? How could we connect more books with kids? I think ultimately, I, I strongly feel that education is such an important thing. You know, education and, and founded literacy is so important. It helps to create a community that's well-informed. It does everything from bringing peace and joy and curiosity to people to helping them to be more informed about their political choices and really shaping our, our national landscape, even global landscape. So, you know, it, it all starts with a community that can read and Calgary Reads is all about creating a community that can read with confidence and joy, which speaks to a lot of my values. So that's sort of why the Fit to Read project supports Calgary Reads at the moment so fervently. Um, and then I wanted to find a way that it was a little bit easier to contribute. So Calgary Reads collects you gently used or new books and they distribute them to people who maybe live in reading wastelands or people who don't have access to books and they've also created the most beautiful space in downtown calgary a reading place that they've decorated um in, in a fantastic manner there's you know a shell silverstein room and um a canadiana room and it's just the the most magical place and i'm all for that so they house a lot of their books there they donate to families and everybody who visits that reading place gets a book for free they can take home. So on our end for the Fit to Read project, we run a book drive every year. So we ran one last year and collected over 3,000 books for Calgary Reads. Um, proceeds from every eyewear sale goes to Calgary Reads as well. So we just made our first donation on behalf of Sphere, which was super exciting for me. Wow. And so I think that project will always be kind of a charitable arm of, of our, our business of Sphere. It's a great way, I feel, to give back to a community. I mean, how often have you read a book that's changed your life or changed your perspective? And yeah. to be a small part of offering that to someone who may not have otherwise had that joy mm-hmm. is super special. Mm-hmm. So this year we'll probably doing a scaled down version of a book drive. I think people have had a lot in their minds this year, probably getting rid of books that they're yeah. not reading anymore. I can that low on the priority list. But um, if you do have newer gently used books at home, we collect them all year round. And then we usually have like a big um, push in the fall. So we're looking to maybe see how we can scale on a smaller level this year and ramp up for next year. 
That is an amazing project. And I love the fact that you're trying to get your patients to be involved in it. And if they don't have books that they can donate directly, they're donating through purchasing the frames or the glasses. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's an awesome idea. Watching people work in an environment where they're able to do good for their local community, but also do good abroad was super inspiring to me to make sure that as I built my career that I had a way to give back to. So I just want to throw that out there that I've, I've had a chance to work with some great people. And there's some amazing optometrists in our province who are, who have that kind of mindset too. Trying to, trying to convince Amrit to come practice in Alberta. It is the best <laughs> province to practice. <laughs> I'm trying to convince her to come, come here. She needs to bring all that Alberta goodness into Toronto. That's what we need. Seriously. I just wanted to ask you one more thing. Any like last minute advice to new grads that, you know, are a little bit timid about opening up a new practice or, you know, just kind of want to get out there and, and, and thinking like, I don't know if I could really do this or I'm too shy or I'm not business savvy enough to do this. What are your last thoughts on that? What's interesting about, about life is that sometimes what makes you what you think counts you out is actually what makes you really interesting. You know, I think when you play against type, that's sort of what's fascinating. When you feel like you're the underdog and, and you're able to create something kind of neat, that's also really fascinating for people. And it, it helps to give you kind of confidence in your offering. We're all here with our own special skills and our own um, ideas and dreams and imaginations. There's no reason why we shouldn't be throwing that out there. And if owning a practice or starting something new, even if it's not an optometry, something that you really want to do, if you have a goal or a dream you want to pursue, life is short and time goes by quick. It's now, now, it's now or never and, and give it a go. What is the worst that can happen? You know, it doesn't go well. Okay, you know, you've, you've learned a lesson. You're either, you're either uh, winning or you're learning is kind of one of those cliche statements. And it's one that I'm really trying hard to live by. You know, I think we get really afraid of what could go wrong, but and I, I'm guilty of falling into that myself and more often than I care to admit, but when you're really wanting to start something new, it's really important to move towards what could really go right. And I think that's where the most interesting things are being created. And I think we're also at a really fascinating point in time where it's easier or I don't say easier, but there's more unique ways of getting yourself out there. I mean, look at you guys with this podcast. Yeah. I think, um, you know, people are creating new businesses. They have their little side hustles where they can really express themselves and use their creativity in different ways that might not be how they make their bread and butter. So I, I'm all for going for it. You know, I think yeah. we're in a perfect climate where people are really interested in seeing what's different and what's new and what, you know, people are working on in their, in their mm -hmm. imagination. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming onto our podcast. We learned a lot of information about, you know, how to handle opening a practice, how to get through all these hurdles. And we love your clinic. So it's definitely one that we look up to. Oh, good. Well, thanks. Giving off good vibes. I think yes. it's coming through the Zoom video chat. Good vibes. <laughs> Always awesome vibes. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for listening to Four Eyes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating to give us feedback on how we're doing. You can also check us out on Instagram at Four Eyes Optum for more content. Look out for new episodes every Wednesday. So until then, stay tuned.